Well, if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 24, let me give you a little setup. Um, first of all, I know for the first few minutes as we're taking the offering that most of the men in this room cannot multitask, so you're not going to catch my first two or three minutes. Women, please fill the guys in after the service. Um, we are kicking into a year-long series, 52 weeks. We're going to do a series out of a uh, tool called the Wayfinding Bible. Does anybody have your Wayfinding Bible? Lift it up. You see them around you. These are absolutely amazing. We are going to encourage you time and time again to bring one to church, to get one to bring to church. If you can't afford it, please let us know. We, we will happily, more than happily, get one for you. But we are going to go through this Wayfinding Bible. And the wayfinding idea is a literary tool that is used to approach different types of literature. It's not just for the Bible. It's a tool that was used for different reasons. And the idea is you have different levels on which you can approach a piece of literature. You can get really deep into it, all the way through it. You can do sort of this mid-range, or you can do the flyover. And what we're going to do for 52 weeks is we're going to get a flyover of the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation, to the end of Revelation. And uh, it's one of those things that leads me, leads me very excited. Um, I think it's going to be an absolute blast. A little nervous because we're going to go from Gen Genesis to Revelation. That's an awful, awful lot to cover. But I think we're going to have a great time as we do it. So I encourage you to grab that. Uh, doing something like this, as we've chatted and thought about it, um, I have two goals, and I hope, I hope these sit with you, because we'll come back to them again and again and again. One of them is, and it's in front of the wayfinding at the beginning, we want to get us reading the Bible. Just on a, on a really practical level, if we're super honest, the majority of us over the last week probably didn't open the Bible and read it. And we want to get us as a community reading the Bible. I think in general, there's two ways that people read the Bible, and it's important to, to know these two, and there's probably breakouts you could put on, but two ways that people read the Bible. One is uh, devotionally, that all of us should be able to open the Bible, open God's Word, and read it and believe that God would actually communicate with us through His Word, right? It's just the simplicity of saying that God meets us in His Word. The other is called an interpreting God's Word. That I read God's word and sometimes it's hard. Can we be really honest? Is God's word hard to read sometimes? Amen? If we're really honest, it is. And when we say, yeah, let's get reading God's word, many of you are sitting out there saying, that's a daunting task. I've tried it. I failed. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. And that's because the other way of reading scripture, interpreting it, is a challenge. It's a challenge to understand what this Bible is saying a lot of the time. That's what, on Sunday mornings, we sort of marry the two, that we try and interpret it, but we also believe that God wants to say something to you as individuals, to me as an individual, and to us as a community. So we read it devotionally, and then we also interpret it. The other goal that I have is that we would know and live out the story of God. We would know and live out the story of God. Too often we have this idea that the Bible is just a list of facts. And I don't know about you, facts are not compelling. Two plus two equals four doesn't get me excited. Maybe for a few math teachers in here, I, I just offended you. But when I watch Pay It Forward, remember that movie Pay It Forward? When I watch Pay It Forward, not only am I crying by the end of the movie, but at the end of the movie I get done and I want to what? 
I want to go do something good. And that's so important for us to understand as we come to the Bible. It's not just a list of facts. It's not just a list of principles. It's the greatest story ever told. A theologian named N.T. Wright gave this example of trying to understand the story of Scripture. He said, Scripture is almost like a group of Shakespearean actors and Shakespearean scholars. What if they found the lost Shakespearean play? What would they do? First of all, big party, right? You found a lost Shakespearean play, you have millions of dollars, big party. But he said the next thing they would do is they would read it, they would get to know it, the actors would memorize it, they would pour themselves in. This is the lost Shakespearean play. And then he says, but, but what if they got to the end of it and they realized that they only had the first four acts and the fifth act was missing? Would they just flip it into the trash can? And his premise is, no. They would get to know the first four acts so well that they could actually get onto stage and faithfully act out the rest of the play. And in some ways, that's what Scripture is. From creation to fall to Israel to Christ to now the church. But we're in this, this little point sort of outside of it. But we know how it ends. God's going to make all things right. That we are trying to immerse ourselves in the story of God in Scripture so that we can faithfully be God's people today. In our normal, everyday lives. What does it look like for us to live in that fifth act as God's people? So... To get us there, there's this absolutely amazing story in Luke chapter 24. Before I read down through it, um, let me give you a few ideas. That, that, that when we are talking about a passage of Scripture and we're interpreting it, there's a few rules for us as we interpret Scripture. Here's four of them, and I would encourage you to write these down. There's amazing tools these days that are out there. But the first, first idea is this. When we interpret Scripture, we ask the question, how does it fit in God's story? How does it fit in God's story from Genesis 1, when God created and things were right, to the fall, the whole thing, to the end of the story. The end of the story isn't just God gets mad enough and destroys everything. The end of the story is God makes everything right again. It's hopeful. So from beginning to end, how does this fit in the story of God? The second one is this. How does it fit in the context of the book? So if you're looking at a passage in Deuteronomy, how does it fit in the, the context of that book? It takes a little bit of work. Third one is this. We often miss this one. How would they have heard it? Often when we're interpreting scripture, we go to a passage and we sort of pluck our meaning out right away. Instead of saying, in the first century, in the Old Testament, what would have this meant to them first? What would have it meant to them? And then the last one is, what does it mean for us today? When we've done that hard work, what does it now mean for us living out that fifth, fifth act in the here and now? So Luke chapter 24 this absolutely beautiful story. Many scholars say that this rivals the story of the prodigal son. It's a beautiful, beautiful story in the book of Luke here. We're going to read down through it and we'll talk about it as we read through it. Starting in verse 13 of chapter 24, the context right before, before this is the resurrection narrative. So verse 13 says, that same day, so the same day, Tying us right back to the resurrection. That same day, two of Jesus' followers, we'll find out more than likely this was a husband and wife. This guy, Cleopas, we'll refer to him a little bit. Uh, they're talked about in John chapter 19. But this husband and wife, they've just had this amazing, amazing interaction. They've been following Jesus, and now they're walking home. We're going to see what it's like. Two of his followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. 
As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. They talked about everything. They, they had been following Jesus. He had claimed to be the Messiah. He had died, the tomb's empty, but we don't know where he is. So you can imagine the, the mix of, remember when Jesus was sitting on the mountain and talked to us, and they're, they're talking about stories, they're talking about their emotions. Was he really the king? What's going on here? They're talking about everything. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came up and began walking with them. It's probably not shocking that someone would come and walk along uh, two people who are going from one village to the next. It was common in that time. And in fact, it would make your walk a little safer the more people you had. But there's something beautiful and almost the imagery of the Garden of Eden that Jesus comes up and starts walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them. This is some of the interactions. It's almost funny. This is, Jesus knows what happened, by the way. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, the, the Cleopas person, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. I mean, it's sort of funny, right? Like, he was there. He got it. What things? The things that happened to Jesus. Now listen to how they describe Jesus. The things that happened to Jesus. The man from Nazareth. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all our people. So they got a lot of it, but they weren't getting, they're missing some things there, right? About who Jesus was. That he's the son of God. That maybe he really is the Messiah. But they keep telling the story. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. If you've been around Crossview, you've heard me say in the first century, if you're a follower of Jesus and you saw the one claiming to be king go to the cross, you were, all hope was destroyed. A dead king is not a good king. Jesus is the one that has said, I am going to rescue. I'm going to bring hope. I'm going to bring deliverance. He dies. They are totally despondent. We had hoped. I love that line. We had hoped he was the Messiah. That feeling, the loss of losing hope, who had come to rescue Israel. That line is so important. If we see the story of Jesus apart from the connection to the Old Testament, the idea that this is about Israel's story now fulfilled in Jesus, now open to everybody, we miss something very important. God, in human form, had come to rescue Israel. One of the greatest stories in the Old Testament that they would have known is the story of the Exodus. One of the big rescues that God had done for his people. And they were looking for a new Exodus. And Jesus often used language really similar to that. That I'm bringing in this new rescue. So they are thinking all hope is gone. This all happened three days ago. Verse 22. Then some women from our group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. They have seen angels and who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women said. And you can almost feel like we're hearing all these hopeful things, but we've seen nothing. Then it gets good. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe. All the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? 
It's intriguing. You get the sense as you read the Gospels and you understand where Israel is coming from that they were hoping that God in human form was coming to rescue them from suffering. And yet the story of Jesus is somehow that rescue happens in the midst of suffering. It's very different. It's often very different than the story that we tell about Jesus, that if I trust Jesus, my life will be easy. We don't see that in Scripture. That it's in the midst of suffering that we often find hope and redemption. And then here it is, verse 27. Then Jesus took them through the writings. This, this is the number one place in Scripture where I'd want to go back. If I could choose a story to go back and be a part of, it's verse 27. Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Here's the crazy thing. We're going to spend about the next four months in the Old Testament. And often we as Christians look at the Old Testament like, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. What Jesus did here, he sat down with them went through all their old, the Jewish history, the, the Old Testament writings. He went through all of it and he said, this is all about me. You know Leviticus? It's about me. The Psalms? It's about me. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant? That's me. And so one of the things that we're going to do that's going to be so fun is we're going to see all these Old Testament stories that they actually point towards Jesus. And the Old Testament might have been looking towards Jesus, but it was looking towards Jesus. And in some ways we look back and look forward, but it's all, it's the point of this story. It's all about Jesus Christ. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted if he was going on, but they begged him to stay. Say the, the language there is almost as though like you're sitting in the living room and somebody comes up and you do the fake offer of the seat. That's sort of what Jesus wanted to stay with them, did the, you know, pretend to go on. They said, no, no, stay with us. So he went home. And then listen to verse 30 and 31. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. It's the language of the meal that we're about ready to take. Reminded them of the very first meal where Eve had maybe messed it up. Meals in the writings of Luke, meals in the Gospels are very important marking points. Very important. And it's over this meal, over the words of communion, suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. And then they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us? as he talked with us in the road and explained the scriptures to us. And within the hour, they are on their way back. Isn't that, I mean, they, they've like truly met Jesus now. They were following before. They didn't totally get it. Now, now they met him. Like they, they had, I mean, that's a lot of us, right? Your journey with Jesus is you've had different marking points. You're like, ah, okay, I'm getting it, I'm getting it. And then maybe there's a moment where it's like, I've encountered the living God. And within, I mean, they packed up within the hour, they're back to Jerusalem because they've got to tell people exactly what happened. They found the 11 disciples and others who had gathered with them and they said, the Lord's risen. He appeared to Peter. It's going to be our journey the next year that we are going to look from Genesis 1 to the end of the Bible and we're going to see how all of it points us towards Jesus Christ. 
The Wayfinding Bible, which again, I encourage you, please grab one. Grab one individually, grab one with your family. If you can't afford one, let us know. But the Wayfinding Bible has some absolutely great tools, and it's less. I always get a little scary, uh, scared of Bibles that tell you what to think instead of teaching you how to think. And the majority of this is trying to give you tools for how to think about Scripture. Um, some of the great things as, as you grab it and start looking through it is you'll find a, a little sort of background set up, but you'll see on the right, it's hard to see there, but these observation points where it stops and gives you a little bit more of understanding so that you can get a sense of the world in which this is happening. It'll give you exploration points, sort of how do I go a little bit deeper with this? And then one of the best pieces in this Bible, because like we said before, when I say we want everybody to read the Bible, the majority of you say, I don't know how, it doesn't make sense. So it's great to have a tool like this. Along the way, a number of times throughout this Bible, you'll have these getting your bearings. And what it does, it helps us not lose sight that this is one big connected story. It's not an Old Testament, it's not a New Testament, it's not just 66 different books, but it is one big connected story about God revealed in human form coming to rescue to make all things new. And it started. That process has started. Remember our goals, that we want to get us reading the Bible. It's a discipline. It's a discipline. It's a lot like, a lot like those of us who are starting to get ready for running this uh, half marathon. It's a discipline that at first is really hard and it gets a little easier and easier and easier. Don't tell my wife I said that. I didn't use that illustration in the first service. And then we want to know and live the story of God. Verse 35, Luke 24 says this. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. I think this is going to be an absolutely exciting year, a great opportunity for us to introduce people to the faithful story of God. Just like these two, after they encounter Jesus, they've got to talk about it. Last week, and I was back in Philadelphia at the church that I started a lot of years ago. And uh, it was good remembering some of the things that happened. Some were, were painful, and I'd put those on myself, but some were really good. And I remember two of the first people that came to faith in Jesus Christ, these two young guys, both with the name of Chris. And I didn't know. You know, what, what do you do? Sharing your faith is always hard, that whole thing. And I remember early on, I, when I was sharing my faith, living out relationally and trying to bring people towards Jesus, introduce them to Jesus, I would just say, read the Gospel of John. And I was reminded that both of those guys came to a saving faith in Jesus Christ from just reading the Bible. And that's my hope and prayer for us this year as well. That as we point people again and again and again towards Jesus, and that's for those of us who, who've been Christians for a long time. It's for those of us in here who are new to this whole faith thing that we're going to see Jesus again and again and again and again. And it will invite our trust, our turning from our kingdoms, our sin, our way, our whatever. It will invite us again and again and again to put our complete trust, our complete faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, Pray as we head into this year, and God, as we use this tool, Lord, I pray that your story, 
through your word. I pray it would be what we come to again and again and again. And God, just as the text reminded us that we, we not only encounter you in the written word, we encounter you in the bread and the wine. The word written and the word experience. God, I pray this morning that would be the good news that we need to hear.